device with your Bible on them, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand, yes, the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn to your neighbor and uh, say, hey, where do you work? Now you got to do the hand motions or it's no good. Hey, where do you work? Now turn to him again and say, do you like it? Because <laughs> today we're going to continue in our teaching series, Conquering the Giants. And uh, we've been looking at some of the biggest giants that we face in our lives and how to overcome those giants. Today we're going to talk about the giant of career stress. But I thought before we went too much further, we would uh, take a look at a study that was done on the 10 most stressful professions that are out there. Let's go ahead and skip that, that slide, uh, Tyler, and go to the next one. Here we go. 10 most stressful professions. Uh, number 10, our waiter. Uh, any of you waiters? I've been waiting for a long time. No, I'm that's, you know that's not what I'm talking about. Number nine, real estate. Any of you sold it or sell it? It's a very stressful profession. Number eight, customer service. Isn't it fun, Jennifer? You meet new people every day, and they're so on fire for the product that they're calling you about. Number seven, journalist. And have you ever served as a journalist, newspaper, radio, TV? Six, stockbroker. Sixth most stressful profession. Number five, medical field. Anything related to the medical Nurse, doctor. Yes, Helen could tell us. <laughs> yes. Number four, air traffic controller. They always make the list. Now, they're getting closer to the top now, aren't we? About number three. A miner. We got any miners in here? Uh, any miners? Now, I don't know about you, but going down underground to dig stuff doesn't really make sense to me. And to blow up stuff and then dig it out, it doesn't make sense to me. Number two, police officer. Stressful, stressful profession. Now, before we go to number one, don't do number one yet, but before we go to number one, you got to understand that a study was done, and Forbes magazine uh, did that, and they found number one to be this. Number one. Number one. <laughs> Click that button, brother. What happened? Ah, here we go. Anyone who works in New York City. Now, before you go, oh, whatever, New York City is second behind Chicago for the most stressful city to live in, but the number one most stressful, stressful professions are found in New York because of the density of population and the competitive nature of all the jobs that are in New York City. So it's kind of interesting that they were... Now, by the way, do you know what the least stressful profession is? Preacher. <laughs> Good job. 
It was a forester. Do you know where the least stressful city to live in America is? Virginia Beach, Virginia. So if you're full of stress, move to Virginia Beach and be a forester. I don't know. Maybe that's, I'm not sure I recommend that. But is your job, is your job or lack of, lack thereof right now, one of those big giants that you are facing in your life? Close to 9% of Americans, close to 60% of all employed Americans say that they're dissatisfied. They're unhappy with their current jobs. 65% of all employed Americans are actively looking for a new job. Some are just wanting a job. A great number are just wanting a job. But I want you to understand that that's not how God wants it to be. God wants each of us to have a career and a job. He wants us to be able to overcome our career giants, whatever that might look like. And today I want us to look at a story, and we'll go back to that first slide, Tyler, um, here in just a second. But David actually gets a promotion in our story today. It's the first time he shows up in Scripture in the Old Testament. And we're picking up at 1 Samuel chapter 16, and the first part of it is, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as the king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I've selected one of his sons to be my king. Now I want you to hold your finger in your scripture right there if you have your Bibles or you're right there following on the outline. Samuel is the main prophet of Israel at this time. And God speaks to him and through him to the entire nation. It's his responsibility to anoint the next king. So he's to take the oil, find the king, anoint him, and, and set him apart. And here we go. Saul had been that king up to this point. Uh, God had chosen, or recently chosen Saul, but uh, what he meant good at first uh, didn't turn out to be that way because he was corrupt on the inside. So let's go back now and pick up at verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at uh, Eliah and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. So he goes and looks at Jesse's son, the oldest one alive, impressive, strong, big, handsome, that has to be the king. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look on the things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord does what? Looks at the heart. Do you know what God is telling Samuel? Look, we tried it your way last time. Saul was the tallest Israelite that we could find. He was one of the best warriors. He was strong. He was good looking. We anointed him a king. And what happened? What happened? Well, things fell apart. And so God is saying to Samuel, we're not going to do it that way anymore. Look at verse 10. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. Now, again, pause right there. Put your finger at that spot. You see, he's the other son. And he's thought so lowly of in the family that he's of little significance that they don't even bring him in to meet with Samuel. Uh, I mean, he couldn't possibly be the next king. But Samuel 
says this, beginning at verse 12. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Unfortunately, if you're facing a giant in life right now, you're probably not going to have a prophet show up at your door and anoint your head with oil for a promotion. It's probably not going to happen. But this short encounter in our passage today can teach us some important biblical insights that will help us in the jobs or careers where we find ourselves and some of the giants that we face there. And so I want to talk to you about some choices, some four choices that we need to make. The first choice, and this is your first fill-in, is choose to pursue a heart of integrity. Choose to, to pursue a heart of integrity. You see, God wants to use you. But he has, and He has a plan for your life. He has a vision for your career. He has your best interest at heart. But you need to understand this. God will not use you if you lack integrity. He just won't do it. God chooses to use people primarily from their heart. God looked past David's brothers, one through seven, didn't choose any of them. I wonder why. It's because he looked at their hearts and there was something lacking. They lacked that heart of integrity. But David was chosen by God just for that very reason. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, let's go back to our story. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not judge by appearance or height, for I had rejected him. The Lord didn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Would you underline that phrase, the Lord looks at the heart? <coughs> before he can give you something more, before he can give you something better, he needs to find a heart of integrity. Before he can trust you with what you want, you have to develop the heart of integrity. Parents, you teach this to your children all the time. They just don't know that that's what you're doing. You're trying to get them to be people of integrity. In other words, if they say something, they'll do what they say. Their word means something. We live in a culture today that if you say it, doesn't mean that you're going to do it. You've got to write it down on a piece of paper. You've got to sign it 1,900 times and have it notarized and everything else. It used to be a man's word was his bond. If he said he'd do something... You could count on him doing it. Amen? Those days are long gone, aren't they? Now, was David perfect? No. Not by a long shot. In fact, next week we're going to look at the giant of failure. And David was a, he had his share. He failed as a husband, as a father, as a king. He had a lot of failures as a human being, just like we do. But in spite of all that, I want you to see that God saw something in him, saw something in his heart. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it's there in your, in your uh, outline. It says, God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Would you underline that phrase? A man after my own heart. In other words, David... He has just a heart like mine. And so God continues, He will do everything I want Him to do. He will do what I ask. He will follow me. He will pursue me with passion. David, David was a man after God's heart. He had a passion for the things of God. He wanted to please God with his life. 
He wanted to, to be what God wanted him to be and to do. But understand that there are two types of Christians in this world. There's one that pays lip service to God on, uh, on Sunday. They come to church. They look really righteous. And then the rest of the week, they live like everybody else. There's no real change in them. There's no real difference in them. Then there's that second group. Now, I mean, they're all full, full uh, bore, full throttle for God. Now, are they perfect? No. Do they make mistakes? Yes. But the difference is that when they make a mistake, they repent of that. They take it to the Lord, and they stay in a relationship with God. And they're always constantly trying to follow God and to do the things that God wants them to do, even though they make mistakes along the way. That's someone. That's a man. That's a woman who's after God's heart. Somebody who realizes they've not arrived yet. Somebody who realizes that they make mistakes, but also somebody who knows that God can forgive them. That's the kind of heart that God's looking for. So when you have a heart of integrity, God's going to use you. He's going to make sure that you're in the center of His will and that you're in the center of His plan. Jesus shares a gut-wrenching truth about what happens when you put material gain or career promotion ahead of having a heart of integrity. It's found in Mark 8, 36. It's there in your outline. I want us to read it out loud together. Ready? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses what? His own soul. What does it profit if you gain the whole world if you, if you gain that, that big promotion at work, if you gain that job that you've always wanted, but you lose your soul and don't have integrity in the process. So if you want God to bless your career, if you want to, Him to be the center of, uh, of, of the plan for your life, number one, choose to pursue a heart of integrity. Second choice to conquer the giant career of stress is, write this down, trust God with my calling. Trust God with my calling. Now, calling is a weird word, and we'll explain a little bit more about that in just a little bit, but it basically is what God created you to do. That's God's calling in your life. It's what God created you to do. So you have to trust God with your calling, with life's purpose, with life's work, because He created you for it. Now, David pursued God with a heart of integrity, and God called him to be king, but I want you to look back to our story in 1 Samuel 16, pick it up at verse 12, where it says, And the Lord said, This this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Two eternal truths I want you to see from that passage. The first one is that God sees things that we can't see. God sees things that we can't see. He sees things in others that we can't see in them. He even, more importantly, he sees stuff in us that we can't even see in ourselves. God sees it, we don't. David was a shepherd boy. Why would God choose him to be king? Why wouldn't he look for a warrior? Well, he had had a warrior. He had chosen Saul, and we know how that all played out. So did you ever think maybe uh, God didn't want a warrior king? Maybe God wanted a shepherd king. Maybe God wanted a king that would love his people and would guide them and shepherd them as a shepherd did. Maybe God saw something in David that no one else could see. Here's the second truth. We are happiest and we're most fulfilled when we're in the center of God's will for our life, no matter what that will is, even if it's something different than we had planned, even if it's something different than we had envisioned. I can't imagine my life at this point doing something different than what I do now. But I had an encounter this week with a group of preachers. I've been going to 
Orlando, Florida for two days of intensive study with 22 other preachers and our pastor coach and he brings in other people to speak to us. The other guy that he brought in is 60 years old preaching at a I mean a huge church. They had 27,000 on Easter Sunday. I just can't I can't wrap my mind around 27,000 people at one time, you know, in multiple services, but nevertheless he spoke into my life about leadership. He said, leadership is anticipation. Leadership is action. Leadership doesn't just sit back and hope and wait. Leadership takes the first step. And that's the God that I know. God is always taking the first step toward me, toward you. He wants to bring the best into our life. He wants to fulfill the calling that he has for us. Now, let's talk about that. Let's define that. I've got that there on your outline. Here's the blanks. My calling is where my gifts and passions intersect with God's purpose. My calling is where my gifts and passions intersect with God's purpose. As I listened to Steve Stroop this week talk about, he said, I'm not ever going to retire. He said, where is that in the Bible, by the way? He said, when does, when does the Bible say that anybody got to retire? He said, they don't. They die. He said, so you're going to work till you die. He said, if you're smart, you will. You'll work till you die. He said, the great thing is find something you enjoy doing and be able to work at that. And, of course, he said, I'm a preacher, and that's all I've known to do. And he said, I, I enjoy doing it. And, boy, that was resonating in me. I love doing what I do. I love that you let me do it. That you keep coming back week in and week out. I've listened to my sermons. I don't know why you keep coming back. But I'm grateful that you do. I think you come back in anticipation. Maybe he's going to give us a good one this week. I, I'm not sure. But see, your calling is where God takes your gifts, the things that you're good at, and the things that and he takes your passions, the things that you have that makes your heart sing and you get excited about, and he uses those to produce his purpose in us. And his purpose means that it will always be the way that shows his love to other people, that draws others closer to him. That's his purpose in each of us. But here's what most of us miss. And I think not understand, understanding this next point is the cause of, of more frustration than we need to have in our life and why we miss God's plan for our lives. Your calling is not necessarily the same as your job or your career. Your calling may not be the same as your job or your career. Sometimes God blesses you with a good job that allows you to pay the bills. It allows you to pay the bills and live in the city that you can pursue your calling outside your job. So you can pursue your calling, use your gifts, your passions to pursue God's purpose within the church. But you need to understand this, there will never be the perfect job. Work will always be difficult. Work will, uh, will never be completely fun. That's why they pay you. You would not do what you do to be paid to do if you thought it was fun. That's why they pay you to come and show up and do the job. Now, if you can combine something you enjoy doing with being paid to do it, hey, that's a plus, amen? Now, if you work at the sewer plant, it's hard to get excited about going to work every day. I did that as a summer job. The hardest part of that job was eating lunch the first day. It was hard to eat lunch at the sewer plant. 
because we couldn't leave the plant. We could be outside, but there was just a certain air about itself. <laughs> My mayonnaise sandwich just didn't quite taste the same. <clears throat> so I was grateful when God called me to a different profession. But I want you to understand this. There are people who are saying no to job opportunities because they believe that's not what God wants them to do. Ah, that's not exactly where my passion is. No, I'm just going to wait. So they'll be unemployed. They won't work because they'll wait for that right when to come. When God may be wanting you to do the little things well so that He can give you something bigger later. I don't know. There's something for you to consider. Because it's easier, they think, to remain unemployed than to be in a job that's just no fun for them. There's a lot of people looking for work. And they would love to work. So if you have a job and you're fortunate to have a job, do that job with excellence. Do that job with excellence. Sometimes God will provide a job that isn't your calling so you can pursue God's call outside your job. I know doctors who do mission work. The passion they have is to do mission work. In fact, we've, we've saddled up with one here in Jinx as a church. Uh, Dr. Tom uh, Vanderpool goes every, every year down to the uh, Jamaican islands to take eye care to children in schools there. He's worked out a relationship with the people in the school and the government, and they allow him to come in, and he goes in, and he does the exams, and then he gets back and he purchases the glasses. And these, these are old frames, by the way. He showed me some of the frames. They were these you know, those big old ones he used to use years ago. It didn't matter because these kids can't see until Tom puts these glasses on. So then he comes back, puts the glasses together, and then takes them back and fits them on the kids and some adults, but mainly children. And they, for the first time in their lives, can actually see and read things in school where they couldn't before because they couldn't see. We take those things for granted, don't we? Well, you need a pair of glasses, we just go get them. Well, they don't have that option there. But now they do. And we're part of that team. It didn't cost us a thing as a church. We're just part of his team. He wanted a team that would pray for him and help him and guide him and be here to ask questions. And so that's what we do. And that's exciting. But sometimes God will provide that job that, you're, that isn't your calling so you can pursue God's call outside your job, which leads us to the third choice. And that third choice is choose to do what is in front of me today and do it well. Do it well. The question here is what opportunity has God put in front of you today? Maybe it's the job you already have, even though it's not ideal, it's not your dream job. Or maybe it's a new job, but it, it isn't what you hoped for. Maybe it doesn't pay as much as you had hoped. Or it's not something that you have great passion for, but maybe it's a gift from God. I always believe that if I get an opportunity, take it. Take the opportunity. Work hard, prove yourself, and then you see what happens. But don't whine and complain because this it, this it, and this it. It's important that we take every opportunity that God puts in front of us. Let's go back to our story, 1 Samuel 16, 11. Then Samuel asked to the father, are these all your sons? And Jesse says, well, there's the youngest. He's still out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. 
Now, what was David doing when Samuel showed up in Bethlehem to look for a king? What was he doing? He was keeping the sheep and the goats, right? It's not a very romantic job. It's not high level. <laughs> Menial at best. Youngest brothers do that because that's just what younger brothers get handed down to, <coughs> to do. But I want you to get this, and I don't want you to miss it. He was being faithful with the small job he had, and because of that, God brought him something bigger. Now, what were David's brothers doing? It's a good question. I mean, they were sitting in the house. They weren't out working the crops. They weren't out working the field. They weren't out working the sheep or the goats. They weren't off on war. I mean, what were they doing? They were just sitting around. They were sitting around waiting for the better opportunity to come along. And God rejected all of them because he didn't see a heart of integrity in any of them. But he did in the younger brother who's out tending the sheep and the goats. You ever phoned in, a, phoned in something? In other words, you were given a task you thought it was beneath you to do. She kind of phoned it in. You just kind of blew it off. You did it, but it just, you know. Yeah. Why don't we do it with excellence? Why don't we do it with excellence? Why don't we put all of our energies behind it? Why don't we make it look good? Why don't we make it look like it should? Why don't we produce the way we should? We give it little effort. We don't even try. We phone it in. But Jesus is teaching us that that's not how it works. Jesus teaches that if you're faithful in a few things, God will bless you with more. He also teaches if you can't be faithful with little things, why would God trust you with something more? Why would he bring a big blessing into your life if you're not faithful in the small things that you have? I remember when Corey was fired from working at Wells Fargo. And the tears in his eyes, my tears, <laughs> watching my son hurt. He said, Dad, I just, I didn't do anything wrong. I said, I know, son. Sometimes you, you lose your job when you don't even do anything wrong. And that's what happened to him. Others were doing things wrong, but he was the manager, and so they thought he was supposed to know, and how could he know if, anyway. I said, well, you just watch. See if God didn't bring a blessing. And four weeks later, God brought a blessing in his life. And that blessing has continued in his life on right up the middle. My son Jeff, uh, working in church and just wasn't working out. And so he left that church. And he said, Dad, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, God will provide. The next thing I know, he's an Apple genius. I said, well, how did they call you a genius? He said, well, that's what they're called, Dad. They're called Apple geniuses. I said, well, you're a genius because you take after your mother. You're a genius. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind. But I've watched him. In fact, when they were trying to train him, they kept saying, we don't know what to do with you because we've never hired anybody like you like this. That was a provision of God in his life, you see. Mark didn't know what he was going to do with his life. He knew he was going to get out of college. He wanted to, wanted to be a youth minister, wanted to be a worship leader. He didn't know what he wanted to do. He wanted to go to the mission field, and his mother was putting crosses up saying, no, you can't go. <laughs> he ended up being a youth minister in a church right there in Dallas, meeting on the same campus where we went to college. Met his wife, married, doing graduate work. He's getting his graduate degree in worship. I thought, okay, sounds good. 
Worship theology. I thought, man, that's going to take you a long way. It's like being a librarian, isn't it? It takes you a long way. But the point is, do the little things well. God may have something bigger waiting for you. Are we doing them well? Jesus tells the story, Matthew 25. The master replies, good job, you're a good and faithful servant. You prove that you could be trusted. You prove that you could be trusted with a small amount. Now I'll put you in charge of a large amount. Come and share your master's happiness. You know the story. One didn't do anything, the other two did. The other two were blessed, the other one lost everything because he set on it. Some of you have faith in God, but you lack faithfulness to honor God in your work by doing the little things well. But the, be the best at the small things. Recognize how small things make a big difference and honor God with them. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Let's read it together. Whatever presents itself for you to do, do it with all your might. Whatever's in front of you, do it with all your might. Uh, this morning I got a chance to buy breakfast for somebody I didn't even know. They walked in, they sat down, I looked at them and I thought, I'm buying their breakfast today. I don't know why God prompted me to do that, but I did today. And I feel so great that I did it. And I'm not standing here to brag at you. I just want you to know that look around you. There are opportunities for you. There are opportunities for me every day to be a blessing to somebody. Why don't we do that at work? First, choose to pursue the heart of integrity. Second, trust God with your calling. Third, to do what's in front of you. Do it today and do it well. And then last, there on the back of your notes, choose to go to work for God every day. Choose to go to work for God every day. Now, some of you are in a very tough work situations. I understand that. You've got a tough boss. Boss doesn't treat you fairly. You're underappreciated. You're overloaded with work. You just don't enjoy what you're doing. Those are big giants. They can cause a lot of stress. And in some workplaces, parties go on every week. In fact, some are individual parties. They're called pity parties. You see them go on every day, don't you? Boy, I'm going to tell you one, I'm going to tell you one. Lips are puckered out, down on the ground. Suck it up. Suck it up. And go do the work that God's called you to do. I don't want to work at a sewer plant. Well, then work hard to not work there. I got out of high school and I, figured, I thought, I don't have to work at the sewer plant anymore. Glory to God. There's nothing I'm telling you. You can do whatever God wants you to do. Find out what your passion is and meet it. Colossians 3.23, there in your notes. It's our memory verse for the week. In all the work you're doing, work the best you can. Work as if you're doing it for the Lord, not for people. See, go to work tomorrow morning saying, I'm working for God. I'm working for God. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, and I, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? If I were still trying to please men, I would, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, everything that you do can have an eternal significance if you work for God. Work for God. In Matthew 22, Jesus gives us the two, the two keys. Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. First and greatest commandment, and the second is equally as important. Love your neighbors yourself. So in the morning when you go to work, love God and love others. Love God and love others. Don't wait for them to help you with your project. You go help them with their project. You, you make them look good. You make them feel good. You begin to pray about them and pray for them. 
You never know what God's going to do through you in their life if you just try that. Try that formula. I mean, the Old Testament is... There were no, there were no uh, careers in the Bible that were bigger and better than others. In the Old Testament, Moses was a shepherd, Nimrod a hunter, Nehemiah a cupbearer to the king, Naboth was a winemaker, David the king. In the New Testament, Joseph was a carpenter, Peter a fisherman, Matthew worked for the IRS, Luke was a doctor, People, Paul was a tent maker, and Jeremiah was a bullfrog. I'm just saying to you. <laughs> different careers everywhere. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. As long as you love God, love people Great things can come. Great things can come. Right now, I'd like for us just to spend a moment in prayer. So bow your heads and let's pray. God, I want to get rid of the sin that I've got going on in my life. I want to be a man, I want to be a woman after your heart. God, I want to go in tomorrow morning and I want to start to work for you. I want to work for you in such a way that it brings honor and glory and that you're pleased with me at the end of the day. And then, God, right quickly beside that, I want to love those around me the way you'd want us to love them, the way you love me. God, I'm going to step up. I'm going to be a woman or a man of integrity. I'm going to have a heart that's sold out to you. I'm not going to look at things as menial and beneath me. I'm going to do the best that my ability will allow me to do. I want to be a blessing to you and to others. And so, God, I'm asking you to really, truly come into my life and make me more than just a Sunday Christian. Make me the kind of person Monday through Saturday that you love to see. That if you came to my house and knocked on the door, that you would anoint my head with oil because you selected me to be the next king. Because you saw in me a person with a heart of integrity. God, there are people in this room I know that don't even know you as their Savior. We certainly want them to be in that position where they know you as Savior. There's people in this room that are looking for a church home. We can't recommend a better one than our church. We're not perfect, but we're forgiven, and we'll do our best to love everyone the way you do. And then, God, there's just a bunch of folks in this room that are struggling. Their jobs are the pits. The people they work for and work with are terrible. But, God, in the midst of that terribleness, something good can rise. So would you and each of us help us to rise to bring honor and glory to you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Every week we offer an invitation, and that invitation is for you. Either come to the Lord for the first time. Maybe you want to join the church. That's, that's awesome. Want to want to teach and pray with you about each of those. If you come forward, we'll, we'll want to set a time to study with you. But I would bet there's a, even a better, bigger group that just need prayer. You're just struggling. You're carrying on some life struggles and the giants have just <laughs> seem to be overtaking you. Well, the good news is the cross defeated every one of them. And you have the victory in Jesus.
So we're going to sing. If God has a decision on your heart, would you make it as we do so, as we stand together and sing?